0: Screen Time with John Fardy This is News Talk
1: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show I talk to the wildly successful Russo Brothers, the directors of Avengers Endgame, and some of the most successful movies ever made, about their new movie The Grey Man, now streaming on Netflix, Where the Crawdad Sing is the big new release of the week, and we review and talk to its director Olivia Newman. And why is everyone hating on the new version of Persuasion starring Dakota Johnson? Let's find out. I'm open on Twitter, John Farty, Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm. On newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and you survive the heat. The big news in my world is that I've started training for the Dublin Marathon. I used to do marathons back when I was younger. And then I, kids just got in the way. new child seemed to arrive every three years for the last nine years. Uh, I don't know how it happened. It just did. This thing would arrive. And uh, so I'm out of the habit. But I'm slowly getting back into it. And my training began recently. So don't worry, I'm not, you know, going to become a running board and mention this every week. How do you know someone's doing a marathon? Because they tell you whenever they can. It's not going to be one of those. But you know, I just want to share a little before we get to matters at hand. Uh, just to start with an email, we were talking to the uh, cast of The Railway Children Return last week, which people seem to have been enjoying in the cinema. And I got a note from an email from Paddy, in, not a note, he, you know, didn't write it to me, email me, as you're welcome to do, screen time at screentimeatnewstalk.com. Paddy in Dundalk says nice things about the show and then he says, the new Railway, children film, not movie, he puts in brackets, might be a chance to revive the the usage of railway station instead of train station. Train station was practically unknown in British English up until around 1960, but as well superseded railway station. Now, a lost cause, I know, but I have never reconciled myself to train station. Nor should you, Paddy, in Dundalk. It is these little obsessions that make life important so i salute the timber of your email and railway station it is for me from here on in i'm in a railway station at least once a week so from here on in paddy it'll be my new moniker for the aforementioned train station will now be railway station now on tv this week i was watching this
2: how about i go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room no i have never coached the sport that you folks call football at any
3: level jesus
2: um, <laughs> and heck you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football <laughs> but I'll tell you what I do know I know that AFC Richmond like any team I've ever coached is gonna go out there and give you everything they got for all four quarters uh, what was that? two uh oh right sorry halves yeah they're gonna give you everything they got for two halves win or lose all tie all right y'all do ties here sorry that's gonna take some getting used to formula
1: Yes, now that was a clip from Ted Lasso uh, and the great uh, Jason Sudeikis there who plays Ted Lasso. Now you might think, hang on, is there a new season? Why is he talking to us about Ted Lasso which has been on Apple TV for nearly two years now? Well, the thing is, I was talking to Pat Kenny about it this week on our series Boxed and I basically watched the entire two episode, the entire two series in the last couple of weeks because it was a hole in my supposedly good knowledge of TV. I finally got around to it. Ted Lasso, in case you don't know very quickly, is all about a man from America who comes to manage a, manage a fictional English soccer team in the Premiership and he knows nothing about soccer and there's a whole series of fish-out-of-water jokes. It is an incredible incredibly sweet show and it's incredibly funny at times I really enjoyed it I have to say now it was kind of a massive hit Because of when it happened, I suspect, because it launched in the eyes of the first lockdown when no one knew what was going on in the middle of 2020, when people were dying to watch anything they hadn't seen before. And because it's quite so sweet, that seemed to hit home. I'm not saying it's not very good. It is. But it's certainly a product of the lockdown in terms of the love people had for it now it's very good as I say uh, Jason Sadikas is brilliant as Ted Lasso and he has this cast of characters around him there's a whole group of English football players who can't stand him the English public can't seem to stand him but he slowly wins them over it's very funny it's very sweet. There's a lot of heart in it. There are two seasons currently available on Apple TV and it is well worth a watch. Sweet, soulful, occasionally very funny TV in the form of Ted Lasso. I'm giving it a big thumbs up. And it kind of saved Apple TV. Or Do they need saving is the wrong word. They're a multi-billion dollar company. But it certainly has helped Apple TV. Apple TV hasn't competed with Netflix or Disney+. Plus. But shows like this are certainly going to help. And there is a third season of Ted Lasso on the way. So if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, it is well worth a a watch. And it's kind of escapist TV in the right sense of that phrase. Now we have a competition this week. We haven't had one in a while. I don't know why that is. You'll have to talk to someone else about that. Uh, The Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore. Uh, is now available as of the 22nd of July to own on 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. The film, as you know, is part of the whole J.K. Rowling universe of Harry Potter. It's kind of prequel things. If you love Harry Potter, as a lot of my children do, you will be all about this. Eddie Redmayne stars in this one, as does Jude Law. And Mark Royal gave it a pretty decent review, if memory serves, when it was in the cinemas. We have five copies to give away. If you'd like to win a copy, simply text the word fantastic as opposed to beasts let's nice positive word fantastic to 53106 or you can email us screen time at newstalk.com you can email the word fantastic and the wonderful erstwhile, delightful Anne-Marie Kane will pick a winner and you could win a DVD. As I say, we five copies to give away. Get your entry in now and hopefully Anne-Marie Kane will be contacting you to say you won one. Now, the big new release of the week is undoubtedly the Daisy Edgar Jones starring with the crawdads sing. Mark Ryle is away this week, but fear not. Claire Darmody, producer of The Pat Kenny Show, has not only seen the movie... But also really enjoyed it. Claire, how are you?
0: Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me on.
1: You were going to call me pal, weren't you? But that would be too <laughs> incestuous <Or Pat. laughs> news. To, that would have been weird. So listen, we're the Dad saying the big new release of the week. Not everyone is loving it. I've seen it as well. But tell our listeners what this is about.
0: Yeah, so it's actually based on um, a very popular book. My aunt tried to get me to read it. I'd be a big reader and uh, I hadn't got around to it. And I really enjoyed the movie more because I hadn't read the book. But that's not to say that if you've read the book, you won't enjoy the film adaptation. Um, So it was written by a woman called Delia Owens, more on her a little bit later. Um, And it was her first fiction book ever published, would you believe? And it was written four years ago. And by now it has sold 15 million copies and was 168 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. And so it was of mine, a no-brainer they were
1: going to make a movie. I no-brainer. This, a friend of mine
0: like I met at the weekend, I was telling her what I thought of it and she said my mum read the book, loved it so much and was going to give to me and then said I'd like to read it one more time before I pass it on. It's wow. one of those books that really sticks with people. My, yeah. my aunt crows about it still. So um, yeah, big big popular book and was made into a movie. The author um, was in the news this week, actually, because she's been questioned about a murder of a poacher that seemed to come out at the time the book was released and then be left. And then this movie being brought into cinema kind of brought it out again. So that's not a great um, story around the movie, but the movie brought in 17 million dollars on its first weekend. So obviously doing quite well. Wow. In the States or In the States, I think. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so what's happening in this movie that? is based on a book that sold 15 million copies
0: Yeah so basically this little girl called Kaia, um has been abandoned as a child and she's raising herself in the marshlands of North Carolina in a place called Barkley Cove and there's been all these rumours about the marsh girl and they call her the marsh girl and she's been really isolated from the community She's drawn to two young men from the town and opens herself up to a new and startling world She gets a little bit older and when one of them is found dead she's immediately the main suspect um, As the case unfolds the verdict as to what happened becomes increasingly unclear threatening to reveal many secrets. Now Kaya's made a tough enough stuff even as a little girl yes. um, and she follows through as an adult but it is you know when I saw the trailer to me it looked like the ideal crime fiction and I thought God I should have read that I'd really like to see it um, but there's more to it than just a crime drama. I think it's it's, it's because
1: she we see the story of her raising herself literally alone, yeah. in these marshy woodlands,
0: yeah. And I think that's what got me. Like it was an extraordinarily sad movie. I found mm-hmm. in parts, and maybe that was the bit around the childhood and Kaya's story and her background. I found that like very emotional, um, but but also very compelling. Yes, um, and in the book, I believe um, the. The, the the adult Kaya is, you know, made a kind of tough stuff physically as well because mm-hmm. obviously she's she's really living out of this marsh where you're kind of, you know, eat or be eaten sort yes. of situation. And Daisy Edgar-Jones, who you mentioned, who's the star, who plays the adult Kaya, is a tiny little waif. I met her actually during the week she was in on the Pack Any show.
1: Yeah, and we're not (laughs) jealous at all. We have the director. We didn't want Daisy (laughs) Edgar-Jones.
0: Well, she was in. Pat Pat and I went to the movie ahead of her interview and uh, he loved it just as much as I did. And she was in and she doesn't look like that kind of Amazonian Mm. tall, you know, can take on the world. But I think she was excellently cast. Yeah. So I'm sensing you really enjoyed this. I did I really enjoyed it I, I was'll be honest I'm a bit of an emotion person and I was kind of shook after watching mm. it um but I, I would recommend it to other people. And I really do think if you've read the book, you'd, you'd want to see it. Yeah. Um. But if you haven't read the book, it keeps you guessing till the end, which I love in a movie. Yeah. So I was I was grateful I hadn't read the book. And I, I wouldn't rule out going back and reading the book.
1: Okay. Well, that's, that, that's high praise, I would suggest. Now, I've seen it as well. I really enjoyed it as well. It's getting a bit of a critical bashing. And one of the criticisms is that it's a murder mystery, but then you have this other almost like, Angela's ashes in a bog or Angela's ashes in a march kind of story but I'm suggesting or I'm sensing that didn't bother you
0: that was the bit that made me so sad Hmm. but I mean I thought it was a vital part of the story and I think sometimes watching difficult Situations, particularly with young people involved, can be hard, but it's Mm. it's the reality and of the time. Like you know, when it's set, that is what. Like even at one point, you know, she tries to go to school or whatever, and and she's told she has to wear a skirt. And you're thinking, Jane, like that's you know that's their biggest concern, getting this kid into school. So. Um, I didn't feel I, like you mean was it just too grim is that what some of the, sca- the
1: some of them are saying that it's all over the place because it's this grim story about her crude childhood for want of a better phrase and then it's this murder mystery thing and none of it actually works because there's too many things going on I certainly didn't think that
0: so looking at the trailer what drew me to it was the murder mystery part of it because mm. I'm a huge crime fiction um, fan. I read and you know the adaptations on Netflix and everything. I've I've loved, but the other part of it was what fa- what I found so compelling was the reality and the grimness and the grimness was hard to watch, but I thought that really added something special. It added more soul to it, and I think yeah. that you're you're gunning for the lead in it. You you yeah. you 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 know you really want to support. I, I felt there was a lot of soul in the lead character. She's brilliant in it. She's brilliant in it. And like, when you hear her talk with her very perfect British accent yeah. and then you hear how well she does the kind of Southern American drawl. Um, and sorry, just to give a mention to the, the little girl, Jojo Regina, who played who the DA, these, Yeah, She was phenomenal, I thought. And, yeah really as I said made a tough stuff as a character um, I didn't recognise a lot of the rest of the cast but I wouldn't be as huge a movie buff as you but the man the who dad who is Claire the dad the dad was a gentleman who used to be in an episode, uh, episodes of the Mindy Project which was so random yeah. I thought um, and he played his character very well tough and all as it was yeah. you know very well
1: acted so we always get Mark to give us stars out of five so what would you say for where the Dad sing
0: out of five why do you do out of five
1: that's industry standard <laughs>
0: <laughs> Out of five I Have would you never say... heard the expression five
1: star like so you know
0: Okay Yeah Yeah, that's, I just think people always say mark at a ten and five star hotel so I thought I'm surprised but anyway I've done this before I forgot 3.75
1: Okay Okay So varying towards four
0: I think four is that you have to really I mean I probably would have given the new Top Gun a four actually which is interesting because it's a totally different genre Stay in your lane Didn't expect didn't expect to like it so much but yeah it takes a lot for me to give a four but 3.75 for sure
1: Okay very good
0: What about you? What do you? Do you not give I marks? Would, I would
1: give it about a 3.75 as well I, I enjoyed it I can't quite get why people are hating on it so much
0: I think you might have hit on something it is a little bit depressing as a watch um, but it's it's also very hard to look away from and I think that's compelling maybe other people found it a little bit too much yeah, sometimes those big movies just get a lot of people giving out about them now
1: yeah no th- that's, that, that's true but some of this reminded me a bit of Winter's Bone I don't know if you ever saw that no. movie but, that, but that's a kind of similar thing about a downtrodden part of America and someone growing up and people love that so anyway it doesn't matter but listen Claire Darmody she's a bigger fan of Pats than mine but she still agreed to be here <laughs> well, thank you very much
0: pleasure
4: For The jury to be able to hear from you For them to be able to see you as the the kind person you truly are. They're
0: never going to see me like that.
4: Listen, I know you have a world of reasons to hate these people. No,
0: I never hated them. They hated me. I mean, they laughed at me. They left me. They harassed me. They attacked me. You, You want me to beg for my life? I don't have it in me. I won't. I will not. Offer myself up. They can make their decision. But they're not deciding anything about me.
1: A clip there from where the Crawl dads sing and you heard me talking to Claire Darmody about it. After the break, you're going to hear me talking to its director, Olivia Newman. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks, TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. Now, before the break, we were reviewing Where the Crawdads Sing. Now, I'm going to let you hear from its director, Olivia Newman, who I spoke to last week about the movie.
4: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm very well. It's a lot of things. It's like a nature movie, Into the Wild. It's a courtroom drama. There's romance stories of isolation. Like... You must have really wanted to make this because there's so much going on in it. Yes. It's a gift for a filmmaker.
4: That's right. That's exactly what I say. It was like a filmmaker dream come true. Uh, because you got to explore I got to explore all of these genres. Um, and then had the great challenge of how do I weave them all together and make them feel of one mm. movie. And right.
1: So had you been a big admirer of the book?
4: I was, yes. I was read the book in two days i left me it haunted me um it gutted me uh and i really wanted to get that emotional experience i had reading Mm. the book and finishing the book i wanted to capture in the movie
1: you know it's funny uh daisy edgar jones is great in it and you need you need a great actress or actor when someone is so central to the piece we you know, she's English, but we kind of think of her of, of, as Irish because of normal people, which was kind of an Irish thing. Anyway, is, is that where you'd seen her and kind of fallen in love with her? Or?
4: Yes, yes. Um, I had seen her in normal people and thought she was fantastic. Um, and so when we were thinking about who to cast for Kaya, she was definitely top of mind. Um, mm. And then when I saw her read, I just, uh, you know, I was blown away. Um, She Mm -hmm. didn't have very much time to prepare for her audition. I think she read the book and the script in two days.
0: We had a meeting
4: um, over Zoom on a Saturday and then she auditioned on a Sunday. And, um, you know, her audition really blew us all away. And we all immediately felt like this is Kaya. Um, But also the meeting I had with her, I understood she was a very deep and wise old soul and um, that we would, the collaboration would be really, um, really wonderful.
1: A deep and wise soul. That's, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) She sounds like Bob Dylan or something, you know?
4: (laughs) Uh, Tell me this,
1: was it, yeah, you know, at times it felt vaguely Irish to me, uh, and I'm not just saying that because you talked to, me, but just the lake setting and we there's yeah. places like that in the middle of Ireland. But I'm wondering the marshes and all those. Was it a nightmare at times okay. to fill them in that in that heat in those lakes and those waters?
4: I wonder if also part of your uh, feeling was from the score because we also yeah, with the score maybe. there's some sounds, um, instrumentation that is uh, you know that evokes some um, Irish um roots but um yes the shooting in the in that landscape was very challenging we shot in louisiana in may and june and it's yeah the weather is very unpredictable it's very <laughs> rainy um, sounds a lot like ireland actually yes yes it was uh the weather was the most challenging part of our production
1: okay tell <laughs> me this uh you know taylor swift the two words that garrett to success certainly in the music business billy joel recently said she was this generation's Beatles. uh one person taking the place of four did she Uh, come to you and say i have this song did she did you approach her how did that come
4: about yes she wrote the song uh when she knew we were making a movie she had read the book and like us just fell in love with the book um Mm
5: -hmm.
4: and when she heard that we were adapting it to to a film, um, she really wanted to write a song for it. And it just sort of came, it came to her. She heard it and she, in her head or, uh, you know, and went and, and um, wrote it and recorded it and sent it to us. So we had heard the song before we even st- started shooting, which, okay. you know, I, I think is pretty rare. Um, yeah. And it was amazing. What was amazing to me when I heard the song was that it captured the feeling I had when I finished the novel. You know it's it really wow. held that emotional space, um and so I could immediately imagine that that would be a a perfect song to to you know sit and digest the movie at the end of the movie to sit and digest hmm. the experience listening to so it was really an unusual gift to be able to have it before we even started shooting
1: yeah yeah, and then finally, you know there is a lot of women in this project and we're we're constantly hearing about we need more women in cinema and rightly so and you've seemed to have done it uh, on this movie is it just as simple as you just have to make the effort like it's easy you just hire women like sometimes it seems <laughs> yes. to me that that's what you should do you know yes
4: absolutely just hire women that's all <laughs> you need to do um, yeah. absolutely and i think uh, make sure when you're looking at your lists of people to interview for jobs that you go the extra mile and make sure those lists are diverse. Um, because you know, all too often people don't end up on that list because they don't have enough credits or they have, you know, and so you have to dig a little deeper. Um, but all of the women who worked on this film were the absolute top, top choice for us. Um, and you know, as you can see in the movie, I mean, they just did extraordinary work. So it was such a privilege to work with them.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's a fantastic film and I hope it does great business all over the world. Oh, thank you so
4: much. Thank you.
1: Olivia Newman there talking to me about where the Crawdads sing, which I haven't actually mentioned as of yet, is in cinemas from this Friday, the 22nd of July. <laughs> Now, you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks, TV, and movie show. Now, at the time of talking to you, number one in the film charts in Ireland on Netflix is the new Jane Austen adaptation, Persuasion. And it's getting very mixed reviews, a lot of them very bad. I've seen it, I didn't think it was that bad. But anyway, more importantly, arts journalist, film critic Chris Wasser has seen it and joins me now. Chris, how are you?
6: I'm good, John. How are you today? Very well.
1: Now, listen, will you just give us a quick, for people who don't know, Persuasion was the last Jane Austen novel. So what's the story of this generally?
6: Yeah, story-wise, in this version, we have uh, Dakota Johnson playing uh, the, you know, the famous Anne Elliott character, who is Mm -hmm. the, you know, heroine at the center of of Persuasion. And we see in the opening scenes that she has, uh, she's basically dumped this handsome sailor fella frederick wentworth who's played mm-hmm. by cosmo jarvis on account of uh, you know his empty pockets and you know his uncertain prospects you know her family wants her to marry rich they don't really see much of a future them, for them because they don't see much of a future for him and she's she then spends the next eight years you know pining for this great lost love and you know because this is a jane austen tale obviously a second chance will wear retold at some stage mm-hmm. and after eight years he sort of comes back into her life and that happens because Anne's father uh, sir walter Elliot, played uh, very well by richard e grant who seems to be just having the time of his life up, up on <laughs> the screen um he has gone broke he spent most of the family's money he you know he's facing facing financial ruin and he agrees to rent out the their their luxurious country house to a prestigious admiral and as it turns out that admiral is married to Frederick's sister. You know, you don't, if if you've ever watched the film before, John, you know where this is going. Frederick comes into (laughs) contact. I've seen one or two. (laughs) (laughs) Frederick comes into contact again with Anne um, and then, you know, everything starts kind of realigning, you know, will these two people, will these, you know, two beautiful Egypt, let's say, because, you know, they are very handsome, but they just don't seem to know what they're doing. Will they get back together or will their hearts be distracted by some other prospects? So that's the basic setup.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, this is interesting in that it's a modern version of it in a certain sense, but it's not because it's still very much set in Austin time. So what, what are they doing with the kind of placing of it?
6: Uh, well, they've decided to keep it in the Regency era, but they've also decided to incorporate elements of everything from Bridgerton to Fleabag. I mean, there is a bang of Fleabag off this thing, yes. and and that 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 comes down to you know even the way that Anne Elliot is presented and the way she you know uh, repeatedly breaks the fourth wall. I mean this this entire thing. Look at the look at the reaction to the trailer last month when we first got you know a glimpse of Dakota Johnson's Anne Elliot and how you know she you know there are lots of sly winks at the camera. There are lots of sarky monologues you know just for the audience to enjoy. Uh, you know there are a lot of stare downs and there are a lot of scenes as well where we are. Preserving in, a, in in a way, you know, some of the language from the original Austen uh, novel, which is actually Austen's final completed novel. But there are some kind of you know slangy uh, contemporizations working their way into the screenplay. I mean, at one stage, Anne Elliot is going through this box of all of these things she's kept from Frederick that he gave her throughout the years, and she pulls out this thing that she refers to as a playlist, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> it's just uh, you know le- you know le- sheet music basically. Yeah. But the way she looks at the camera kind of tells us that you know the filmmakers here they know. Know what they're doing they know they're creating this austin-esque bag sort of setup you know she drinks wine out of the bottle she she has this pet bunny the same way the phoebe waller flea bag had the you know the, the guinea pig fascination they know exactly what they're at it's almost like they're intentionally trying to you know make us roll our eyes which is why i can't really understand why there's been why you know there's been such a harsh reaction to this film
1: yeah. So so let's get to that because before, I only watched this last night, but I, I did watch it. But before I watched it, I was thinking, man, this, this sounds like it really sucks. And I was very surprised. I'm not saying it's the greatest film ever made, but I was very surprised at how not bad it was, which isn't a glowing endorsement. But considering the vitriol I've been reading about it, what did you make of it?
6: Yeah, the vitriol—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, I don't think it's—it's it's warranted, to be honest. Mm. I mean, it's as though let's separate the two camps here. There are people who have seen this that I—I I feel like their their number one problem is that you know this shameless modernizing of of a literary classic. I don't really buy into that idea that you know you can't dabble with you know Austen, that you can't toy with her stories because if you if you didn't, we wouldn't have had you know the Anya Taylor Joy version of Emma from a couple yeah. of years back. Um, the worst thing that happened to that film was, was a pandemic rudely yes. interrupting its cinematic release, because that was actually that contemporized some elements too. I had an awful lot of fun, uh, with, uh, uh, with the, with the visuals, with the screenplay. Uh, I don't recall there being such an uproar about that. And if you don't, if you don't mess around that Jane Austen, you wouldn't have had something as fabulous and something as ear defining as clueless, which for me is the yeah. best adaptation of Emma. Good um, point. So it seems as though some of the reviews. They're, they're picking up on on, on on the fact that, oh, well, it's a problem because it, we're still in the 19th century and you can't have the characters speak to one another the way they do while also trying to, you know, retain that Regency era setting. That's, that wasn't really a problem for me. And then, mm. of course, there's another camp, which I mentioned, where people have based, you know, their opinions solely on the trailer. <laughs> so it will be nice if, you know, if people actually get around to seeing this and if they realise it's not as bad as everyone's making it out to be. It's, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same uh, uh, bracket as you, John, where I, I thought this is not a perfect film by any means, but it's, it's watchable.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can quibble about, you know, those modernizations, the playlist and maybe being overly fleabag. But if you, Forget about those for a second. I mean, it is an entertaining story that held, holds you for the, you know, close to two hours that it's on for. I mean, in terms of, you know, a esque rom-com, if you like that kind of thing, I mean, all those elements are there if you forget the tweaks, you know? <laughs>
6: Yeah, it does work. I mean, it's a little wobbly, it's a little rickety and it's a little stagey. Uh, And that's because, you know, well, for a start, it's Jane Austen and then also the director, Carrie Cracknell. Um, Her background is in theatre making. And so sometimes she does kind of struggle to, you know, establish a, a cinematic grounding. I mean, there are scenes where the characters almost literally dance around one another um so you know it's almost like watching a stage first uh, and you're thinking well this is this is very hammy this is quite unlikely it's a little implausible um but the performances for me are what made it even though yeah. <laughs> every time every time i give it a compliment john i'm thinking to myself i'm also taken back with an insult because the performances are great but it does sometimes feel as though everyone in this feels as though they're acting in their own uh a little austin film you know some people taking it too seriously some people having a laugh um but i quite enjoyed everyone in it i th- i thought yeah. you know richard e grant he's he's in full-on Blackadder mode. Um, You know, we have Nikki Amuka-Burd, who is uh, basically Anne's wise, but not entirely helpful mentor, Lady Russell. Uh, She's quite good in this because, you know, again, the filmmakers have had an awful lot of fun with what her character does off screen. Uh, We have uh, Cosmo Jarvis basically channeling his inner Colin Firth as the, the, you know, the security leading man and doing very, very well. Yeah, he was good, I
1: thought, you know?
6: yeah no he is and he gives you know he gives as good as he gets here with dakota johnson but dakota johnson is you know she she's in charge you know she's steering this ship and i thought her term was quite delightful and also something that's not something that hasn't been you know coming up in in any of the reviews that i've encountered her her british accent it's you know it goes from Okay, to flawless. Um, so I thought every, I thought the performances are what makes this. It's a, it's a lovely looking film. It is quite peculiar, you know, tone wise, and 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 you know, I some some of the contemporary it's contemporizations in terms, you know, when it comes to the dialogue, they don't really, not, not all of them work basically, yeah. but let's not pretend that there aren't worse things on Netflix.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And then some, and then some. And what you say about Dakota Johnson, her being delightful, I completely agree with you. Utterly charming in the role and and wonderful, really. And, And the way she does sadness as well is very good because she's depressed for a lot of the movie and it was very entertaining and there's elements of bridget jones uh, i think that's even on the way netflix described it bridget jones meets bridgerton there's probably not as much sex as the bridgerton fans were hoping for but you know i'm a middle-aged man i was fine <laughs> with that so tell me this what would you say stars wise not to put you on the spot but out of five what stars would you give uh persuasion
6: I think I would go with a uh, with a solid 3 out of 5 uh, and you're right as well it's a little bit more reserved than say Bridgeton um but it kind of uh, you know there is that 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 thing with Bridgeton too and and I like to see this where there's you know diver- when it comes to the casting uh you know it's a lot, it's an awful lot more diverse than previous yeah. Austin uh, adaptations and that's only a good thing you know we will need to see plenty more of that going forward uh I think uh, as well some people who it is in the top 10 this week some people might be quite surprised that you know there isn't as much sex and that the jokes aren't laugh as loud and it, it kind of you know it it can be a little bit too you know it can be a little too serious at times but there is something good here i you know i i think it's it's a perfectly pleasant sunday afternoon watch i don't understand the vitriol at all
1: i completely agree with you well from the youthful chris wasser that is 3 stars for persuasion chris thanks a lot
6: cheers john
0: my father he's never met a reflective surface he didn't like Vanity is the beginning and end of his
4: character. Also the middle. Sir Walter Elliot, born March 1st, 1760. Man of consequence, known for his
5: exquisite jawline.
4: He is
0: the sole object of his own warmest respect and devotion.
4: One's family is only escapable by two things, marriage and death. Both seem
0: unlikely in the immediate
1: future. A clip there from Persuasion, which is now streaming on Netflix. And that was movie critic and art journalist and all-round cultural guru, Chris Wasser. Up next, the wildly successful Russo brothers. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, last week on the show, Mark Ryle and I were reviewing The Grey Man, this new Ryan Gosling movie based on a, a series of very successful novels all about this secret operative who smells a rat in terms of the people who are giving him his missions. And he goes on a wildly action-packed mission to get to the root of all these things. He is, Ryan Gosling is the Grey Man who's kind of this intriguing special operative with incredibly persuasive action moves and also seems unkillable at times. Kind of Jason Bourne kind of quality. Mark Ryle didn't like it as much as I did. It's entertaining action in the way that something like Jason Bourne is. It was in the cinemas last week but it's landing on Netflix this week uh, for streaming on the 22nd of July. They did one of those dual releases. Now it was directed by the Russo brothers. The Russo brothers right? You may be aware of them you may not be aware of them it's Anthony and Joseph Russo And they are the most commercially successful directors of all time, only second to Steven Spielberg, because they directed Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So these guys have made some of the most successful movies of all time. They are brothers. And as I say, now they've done other things. They did Arrested Development. So they have a foot in all sorts of camps. Fascinating guys. As I say, they directed The Grey Man. And I got to have a talk to these wildly successful brothers earlier in the week. Joe, I'll start with you then. Uh, The French connection, apparently, looms large as an inspiration. Could you just maybe tell me how and why in 30 seconds?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, when we were kids, our father was a big fan of movies, and, uh, you know, the way that uh, he got us hooked on films was through The Late Show. Uh, You know, we were very young, obviously, when that movie came out. Um, And uh, so I think the first time we saw it was on The Late Show on television with him. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, he he loved letting us stay up to watch movies like that with him. And so we have a fondness and an emotional connection to that movie for that reason.
1: And- Talking of the French Connection, I automatically think of trains. And then when I saw your movie, this epic train scene uh, in Prague, I think it is, which is one of the best pieces of action I've seen in a long time. And you can listen back to the tape of last week's show when we reviewed it. I'm not just lying to you. (laughs) So that scene, Anthony, you know, we're watching and going, man, this is. Relentlessly entertaining for 15 minutes or whatever is—is is that a load of fun or is it the greatest pain in the ass to get all that together?
2: <laughs> it's equal parts both. You know, it is. I mean, that it takes an immense amount of time to to pull off a sequence like that. It takes months and months of preparation, uh, experimentation, testing. Mm. Um, you know, us revising our plan for what how the sequence is shaped based upon. Uh, you know how things are coming together. Um, so it's a, it's a very and it's it's physically draining too because when you're executing it and shooting it, you're covering a lot of ground. I will just give you a little example, like just to do the the tram part of the the, the chase, um, we were shooting on actual trams that run through the city of Prague. Uh, then we also built a bus to look exactly like the tram and but run on wheels because sometimes we needed the tram to move more quickly than the tram was capable of, or we needed to work on streets uh, because of what we were do do the action we were staging that didn't have tracks on them uh, so that we were in a, in a more useful, usable location. Um, we also had another version of the tram that was sitting on an empty lot somewhere in Prague, uh, that was surrounded by blue screen. It was stationary, but we could shake it and move it a little bit. And we were shooting on that as well. And all these locations we're shooting with our main cast, our main actors, and we're also shooting with stunt performers as well. Wow. So it's a very uh, complicated, elaborate uh, process to create those moments.
1: Yeah. Wow, that that's fascinating. And Joe, you know, Ryan Gosling, he's not the most handsome man in the world. But, you know, he, he does the best what he can. He with gets his by. Limited,
3: he With gets his by. limited resource. Yeah. And look,
1: I know, so, you know, I can yeah. talk about this. No, but I, aside from that, right, everyone knows he's terribly handsome and God bless him. But one thing I was struck by, he is incredibly charming. No yeah. matter what you think of how that's he right. looks. There's just something... He's not extraordinary everyman or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you guys want him for this from day one?
3: For sure. I mean, listen. This is a very blue-collar interpretation mm. of a of a spy, right? This mm. is not. There's no glamorous aspects of the job. It's a guy who is a product of an abusive father, went to prison because of that father, uh, and gets conscripted into the CIA because he's either prison or work for the CIA. So it's not somebody who's. Happy being a spy. He just wants five minutes of freedom. That's really what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, and I think Ryan is great at conveying, you know, a sense a sense of rootability, a sense of warmth. Uh, he's very funny. He's quirkily funny. Uh, the movie has a dark sense of humor. You know, he embraced that uh, element of it. Uh, and he, you know, his that's a very diverse range that's difficult to find as sure. someone that's believable uh, uh, in an action movie. Uh, um, that, you know, can convey that likability and has that sense of humor. Very difficult to find. So we're very fortunate to get Ryan for it.
1: Yeah. And Anthony, you know, it's relentlessly entertaining, as I said, and it's a full-on action movie. Like it's, I, I saw someone said it's an action movie on heroin. And, but there's probably stuff going on there about... I don't know, you know, I don't want to say, you know, we can say this about any movie. It's a product of its times. But something about believing in authority or not believing in authority or, or taking what you're given because he's part of this Sierra six thing and he's saying there's something awry here. Are you making any kind of statements about that? Or are you just trying to entertain people on a Saturday night?
2: I mean, look, we, we, we certainly want to be fully entertaining uh, to 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 the audience. But, yeah, Joe and I like movies when they're uh, layered. You know, we try mm-hmm. to make our movies that way. Look, the opportunity when you're making a movie like this is to to run at certain political issues that are complicating all of our lives globally, uh, both uh, internationally and at home. Uh, so, yeah, we are we, we are playing with this idea that there are uh, portions of of governments, poor you know, people who are involved in politics who don't believe in being answerable to the mm-hmm. public for what they do. Yeah. Um, and there are people who believe that you should be answerable to the public for what you do and there's you know we're playing out those sort of those two different types within the CIA and 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 imagining where things can go uh, when people who who don't uh, don't believe in being answerable uh, sort of uh, have power yeah and uh, yeah that's that's a part of this movie and it's a part of this movie because again because that's that's what Joe and I and the rest of us are looking at happening uh, in many different ways in the governments around the world and it's
1: scary yeah it's it certainly is Joe can I just ask you whenever you read about you guys there's always these stats about you know how you've this magic club you've made movies that have made a billion and sometimes two billion. And, you know, you don't need me to tell you, but but you're on those lists, right? You've been incredibly successful from a commercial point of view. Not to say you haven't been creatively. Does that become a hindrance at any stage to what you do? Or are you just able to park that stuff when you sit down to go to work?
3: No, I think, you know, Anthony and I have never, uh, you know, we've never put much credence in sort of, um, uh, you know, success as a benchmark. It, Really, make movies for ourselves. We make stories that we want to watch, and then we hope other people want to watch them too. We put our pants on uh, one leg at a time. Uh, you know, we've got—I've uh, got four kids. He's got two kids. Okay. Uh, um, we've both been married for many years. We have lots of people in our lives that keep us grounded, and yeah. you know, never, ne- never, never let us forget where we came from. So, um, I, I, you know, to us, it—that it, stuff's only helpful in that you, you can get more money to get movies made. Uh, And, you know, The Gray Man was an expensive film and, you know, we're fortunate enough that we had that run at Marvel that, you know, we can get that made. And then, frankly, you know, we got a company out of it, a company called Agbo that, you know, made a movie earlier in the year called Everything Everywhere All at Once. So we're able to, you know, use the sort of business acumen that we've gained working at that high level um, um, to make a movie like The Gray Man that can help them support... Uh, Very personal films, like Everything Everywhere all at once.
1: Yeah, sure. And finally then, talking of children, the eldest of my three children today was aghast to think that, in a good way, that I was interviewing the guys who made Avengers Endgame. (laughs) You may be tired answering this, but let me run it by you in closing. You know, those movies, wildly successful, there there has been criticism of them uh, from all sorts of people. Does that sting uh Anthony because sometimes people suggest those movies don't have a life and yet they clearly do there's a 10-year-old boy in Dublin today who's telling his pals that I'm interviewing the guy who made it like does it sting you that criticism of some of the movies you've made
2: you know i don't know if i would say that it stings i do i find it confusing i mean look joe and i love those movies dearly you know and we love the material that those movies were based upon and inspired by dearly mm-hmm. um so and we made those movies the same way we would make any movie, you know, uh, sure. with all the sort of ambition and thought and layering, um, you know, and we saw what happened in the movie theaters, you know, when those movies came out. I mean, you know, we had never been in movie theaters like that before in our lives where the, there were like rock concerts, um, the 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 energy that the audience has, the the investment, the the, the 10 year investment that many of those audience members had in the, the ongoing narrative that was being uh, sort of uh, uh, resolved there in those films and the, the character arcs that, uh, of these loved characters. I mean, that was a uniquely powerful thing that I, have, I don't know that it ever has happened before in cinema and who knows if it ever will again. Uh, but that was a moment in time that was special to a lot of us for many different reasons. And um, it, you know, you 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 cannot you can it, it's certainly fair and valid to not respond to it or not like it uh, but it was an epic moment in cinema
1: well it was lovely to talk to you both and continue to success
2: thank you thank I
3: really you. appreciate it
1: The Russo brothers there talking to me about their working life and times. And of course, The Grey Man, which is now available on Netflix as of the 22nd of July. That train scene we mentioned in Prague, that is a relentless piece of entertainment. And The Grey Man, I gave it three stars last week. Was it even three and a half? It's a solid action movie. So worth a stream this weekend. And if you're listening on the radio, put the kids to bed and turn it on about nine o'clock and sit down and... Have wine or beer or whatever it is you do. And you'll enjoy it, trust me. Do whatever you want on a Saturday. Night. I mean, once you listen to Screen Time from 6 to 7, who cares? That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every other week. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Or my Twitter handle is John underscore Fardy This show is available as a podcast Every Friday at 5pm On Newstalk.com Or the Newstalk app Powered by Go Loud And it's on the radio Every Saturday At 6pm right here on Newstalk Time to leave you with some music Not from the movies this week But from the TV And a great TV show True Detective Well, particularly the first season And from that This is Lucinda Williams And are you alright? I will leave you with that And hope you enjoy The remainder of your weekend
5: Are you all right? All of a sudden, you went away. Are you all right? I hope you come back around someday. Are you all right? me some kind of sign Are you alright I looked around me and you were gone Are you alright I feel like there must be something wrong Are you alright Cause it seems like you disappeared Are you alright Cause I've been feeling a little scared Are you alright?